content warning. This episode includes discussions around suicide, psychosis, and other mental health-related subjects. Listener discretion is advised. If you or a loved one is in crisis, please call your local emergency number or utilize the free crisis resources linked in the description of this episode. I'm your host, Ariel. And I'm your host, Alyssa. Welcome to Ghost Tea Podcast a podcast for those who seek magic. Hello, ghosties. Welcome back. And today we are discussing spiritual psychosis, and we have a very, very special guest on this podcast to discuss this hot topic with us. Just a reminder, like every episode, that everyone has different views on things, and that's okay. We don't ask that you believe what we do. We just want to share what we found in our personal path with others. With that said, hello, Chris. Welcome Hi. to Ghost Tea. Thank you. <laughs> so excited to be here. I am so excited to have Chris as a guest. I have collaborated with her um, a couple times in the past and have just enjoyed their company so, so much. They're so amazing to talk to. So I'm super excited to have them on the show today. So Chris, could you give us a little bit of uh, an intro or background on who you are, you know, where you're coming from on this topic and things like that, and whatever you would like to share with our with our little ghosties? Sure. So my name is Chris. I'm a licensed professional counselor in Oregon and in New Mexico. I'm also a certified end-of-life doula, which is a national certification. I've been seeing clients for about seven years. For four years, I worked in community mental health, which really has high levels of really serious trauma, psychosis, uh, mood disorders, things like that. And then I moved into private practice about two years ago, where I'm mostly a trauma therapist and I use EMDR to treat people. I also am a certified um, alcohol and drug counselor on top of that. But uh, my, my passion really lies in treating trauma. On top of those like professional qualifications, I, I'm, I'm a spiritual person. I identify with being a witch. I'm non-binary. I really like to take up the space of in the middle of things. Uh, so <laughs> that's a bit about who I am. I also have a partner who is also a therapist, has worked with a lot of psychosis before. So everything that we're talking about today is in collaboration with my partner who helped me to come up with some of these things and make sure that we're reporting accurately what psychosis is. Yes. And I'm, I'm so excited about this topic. Like not, not excited that it's happening, but excited totally. because this is something that Alyssa and I have wanted to discuss so much, mm -hmm. but really wanted to have someone who is qualified to be talking about this topic with yeah. us because, you know, obviously Alyssa and I are not um, healthcare professionals. We're not mm -hmm. trained in this kind of stuff. And uh, it's something that we can give our opinions on, but I really wanted to have someone from that professional scope of things like discussing this with us because sure. I think that's so important and I really wanted to be able to have our listeners have someone who knew how to um, approach it from that uh, place so I really just think this is going to be a super helpful episode for people who are curious on how to navigate psychosis if they mm -hmm. feel like they're kind of getting to that point or mm -hmm. if they feel like people around them are getting to that point and kind of how they can approach that but also just more information about what it is and mm -hmm. um, and the healthy and uh, good ways of approaching it to where they can come out the other side unscathed for the most part yeah 
Yeah, absolutely. I think it's so important to talk about psychosis because it is extremely stigmatized. Yeah. So my hope is that we can take down some of that stigma and talk about it with uh, the compassion that it deserves. Yeah, absolutely. So getting into that, what is psychosis? Can you go into kind of what it is in a general sense, but also um, the term spiritual psychosis? Because I, I know that you've mentioned that that technically isn't like the the professional term that would be used, even though we will reference to it sometimes in this episode as that, but can you explain what that would be in professional terms and, mm -hmm. and things of that nature? Yeah, absolutely. So spiritual psychosis, I see as very much a pop culture term. So I think that as we talk about this, we are still going to use the term, but I do want to be clear that spiritual psychosis is not a real diagnosis that people can go to their mental health counselor and be diagnosed with. Um, there's lots of different ways that psychosis shows up. So it could be a symptom of schizophrenia. It can show up in um, postpartum people who've just had a, a baby. Psychosis can show up. It can show up um, if there's a thyroid imbalance. So there's bipolar one as well. There's so many ways that it can show up rooting from different things. But when we're talking about spiritual psychosis, I think that what we're mostly referring to is the umbrella of psychosis that is usually the paranoid or grandiose type. And I'll talk a little bit about that um, as I define psychosis. So like I said, psychosis is kind of like this umbrella that is attached to all of these other diagnoses. It's almost like a symptom of other diagnoses. Um, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I didn't know that. I thought it was its own whole diagnosis. Yeah, I think that there could be like other specified psychosis, which is pretty much like we don't know why this person's having psychosis. So it can be like a preliminary like, hey, this is a symptom, but mm -hmm. we haven't figured out what is the root of it. There's always something else going on. Schizophrenia, bipolar, postpartum, thyroid, like it could be so many different things, but it's not a standalone diagnosis in the Diagnostic Statistical Manual. Yeah, the DSM. Mm -hmm. What's the DSM at now? Is it DSM five or six? I think it's the DSM five, and that they're. I think they're going to release the six pretty soon. Is okay. is my hope? There's lots of updates that really need to happen. So I'm. We're still focusing on diagnosing with the five, uh, okay. which should be updated soon. And in the DSM five, so since psychosis isn't listed as its own standalone. Um, diagnoses within the DSM-5, is it listed as a symptom for many others as you were just talking about? Yeah. And so psychosis is broken down into several parts. So in order to be diagnosed with psychosis as a part of something else, it has to have delusions, hallucinations, disorganized thinking, disorganized or abnormal behavior, impaired insight, and social or occupational uh, dysfunction. Now, it doesn't have to have all of those. In fact, it has to have two or more of those for a significant portion of time. So this is like one month or over in the time period. And when we're thinking about breaking this up into pieces, the delusion is a false belief that is strongly held despite evidence to the contrary. 
And delusions show up in three different ways. They can be paranoid, which is believing that others are plotting against them, which I do see in our pop culture reference of spiritual psychosis, paranoia that everybody's against them, or even that like God or the universe is plotting against them. Mm -hmm. That might show up in that way. Grandiose, having an exaggerated sense of self-importance. Again, non-stigmatized, that is a symptom of psychosis, is to feel like you know everything and not really lean into any like, you know, I don't knows. That's another one that I see when we look at this term spiritual psychosis is feeling like you know everything and not being able to hear other people's points of view. And then the last one is bizarre, which is involving unusual or implausible ideas. This one, I think that we should always take with a little bit of an asterisk because different cultures have different ideas, different beliefs, um, different spiritualities and religions. And so as a mental health professional, one of our important tenets is to be culturally aware, culturally humble, that we can't just say that this belief is bizarre and therefore psychosis just because it's something we haven't heard of before. Right. I love that. That makes a lot of sense. And I I have a question about uh, one of them. I think it might've been the one just above bizarre. Um, This is the one where you have like grandiose thoughts and ideas. That's the one. Okay. One of the things I've noticed a lot within the spiritual realm is we talk a lot about on ghosty podcasts and just in general about really trying to balance the mundane with the magical and trying to be very grounded, keep one foot in reality, you know, all that stuff. But where I've noticed that a lot of the conversations tend to center around psychosis, it tends to be associated with what I believe might be that particular number where people either think that they are a god Mm -hmm. or that they're here to perform godly functions um you know they kind of exhibit a lot of different i would say personality traits types and behaviors that are similar Mm -hmm. to cult leaders which we covered on a previous episode um talking about toxic spirituality and things like this Mm -hmm. what would be um it from your observation maybe within a spiritual sense probably the most prevalent yeah i think You actually named it really well. When it's the grandiose type, it's usually feeling like like I've been sent here to change the world. Right. It's not it's not about like I have I have a gift that I can share with my community. That's not grandiose. It's the way I've described the difference between bipolar one and bipolar two is that bipolar two is like, oh my gosh, I feel so good. I feel just like Oprah. And then bipolar one is, oh my God, I am Oprah. Right. Ah. So there's like this delusional piece that's grounded in like in nothing, basically. That's that's fascinating. Really fascinating. So those are some of the telltale signs, I guess, maybe that someone could look out for if they might be in psychosis. Or did you want to describe what that might manifest as for a typical person, perhaps, you know, engaging in spiritual practices? Yeah. So I think that it's important to note that part of the trouble with if you're going into psychosis is that a symptom of it is that you don't know. And that's what makes it so incredibly scary because all you know is that your reality is different from other people's, but there is a very strong belief that that is the truth for you. And it is. And I think that 
this is this is where I'll tell a little bit of my own story because I think it's really important to to really be clear that these people this isn't a lack of will this isn't like they're making it up or they're pretending to believe it or they're trying to become a cult leader or anything like that when somebody is entering psychosis they are fully believing what they are experiencing yeah. Um, and if you can imagine, that's really scary. So for me, I, in my past, I think it was maybe like eight years ago, I had a drug induced psychosis. I'm going to talk a little bit more about like those different types that could trigger a psychosis, but mine was a drug induced psychosis. And at that time, I believed that there was this committee of people around me, including my spouse, who's just like the sweetest, most wonderful person in the world. <laughs> and then all my friends. And I had this full belief that they were having this committee, they were having meetings without me, and that they were plotting to murder me. And so that was terrifying. And it was so real to me that I was like hiding, I was isolating, I didn't know who was on the committee. Um, and it wasn't until I was sent into an inpatient facility where I got treatment that I started to come come back to reality. Which, by the way, when somebody gets treated and come back to reality, it's not as simple as like, oh, now I know. There's actually a lot of like shame and and fear and you've already pushed away so many people because right. of the psychosis. But that's why it's even more important to have a ton of compassion that this is not the person's fault when yeah. they are in yeah. a psychosis episode. Absolutely. I've noticed that there seems to be a lack of compassion when it comes to psychosis in the spiritual uh, realms, yeah. because yeah. people armchair diagnose, they throw it out. They're like, oh, this person has a different belief than me. So they're in a state of psychosis and they're very angry with them. And like, you're spreading misinformation and you're like a danger to the community. It's it's a very like uh, aggressive kind of view I've seen at least. Yeah. And that's so heartbreaking because ultimately people do not change from shame period. That is not a right. way that anybody changes in any type of behavior, let alone being in psychosis. People can only change when they feel seen, heard, and when they truly feel that the person around them is um, cares about them and is actually hearing them. And a part of that is for a friend and family member is actually to just come to that person and be like, hey, I noticed that you're really scared. Like, what's going on? What's going on in your life? Instead of being like, you know, that's not real, right? Because yeah. that's actually going to make that person potentially feel like, oh, you're one of the committee members, right? Right, right? You're one of those people that are actually plotting against me. And so if if there's somebody that you love that you think might be in psychosis, they're scared some of the um, tell, tell, tell signs of this is actually like change of behavior and functioning. So changes in their hygiene, withdrawal from social activities, social withdrawal, um, obviously those unusual beliefs and thoughts, uh, heightened suspicions, that kind of paranoia that I had experienced, changes in emotional expression. So they can seem like flat or have really intense mood swings all of a sudden a reduced range of emotions sometimes, trouble concentrating, decline in self-care, uh, sleep disturbances is a huge one. Sleep is our number one thing that we all need in order to maintain good mental health. Irrational or incoherent speech, sometimes we call it word salad, where it doesn't quite string together, it doesn't quite make sense. 
unusual perceptions, heightened anxiety of depression, and decline in performance, whether that be like their job or schoolwork. And it's important to note that all of this, like when we're thinking about healthy spirituality, where maybe you like see people, right? You connect with people who have passed, you connect with deities. If you feel grounded, if that is healthy, if it's not isolating you from anybody, if if it helps you feel more whole, that likely is not you being in psychosis. Yeah. It, it really requires those functioning decreases and that it's hurting yourself or others for it to be a mental health diagnosis. Right. And a lot of people, um, I that's kind of something that I want to get into a little bit more too, because a lot of people who I, because I, 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 that's actually how I met Chris. Was she wanted oh, yeah. to one of my, my defense of you? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I forgot she, about that. She um stitched one of my videos or like like duetted one of my videos on TikTok where people were accusing me of having schizophrenia. Which there's nothing wrong if you have schizophrenia. Like there's mm-hmm. definitely nothing wrong with that. But there's a lot of people who commonly come to my page and, you know, obviously Alyssa's page as well and mm-hmm. um, will diagnose us with things like that uh, because we're like speaking with deities or speaking with loved ones who have passed over or, you know, speaking with spirits the way that you would just talk to a normal person um, right. who is living. And it can really throw people off and make people believe that you are going through some sort of psychosis. Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering I guess my question would be like, in terms of like, cause when, when people have asked me that question, like I do kind of regurgitate what you have told me in the past of like, is it something that makes you feel afraid? Is it yeah. something that makes you feel really uncomfortable? Is it makes, it doesn't make you feel like you have to isolate um, mm-hmm. things like that. Or is it something that is supportive in your life and is helping you to have a more healthy approach to life? Things like that. Mm-hmm. Is that a, good thing to kind of use as a way to define or help people define whether or not their interactions with deities or interactions with spirits and stuff is something that's healthy or something that could be detrimental. Right. Yeah. Basically the question to always ask is, is this causing harm to self and others? And it's not really included in others if maybe the people in your life are just super judgmental and yeah, just like yeah. religion or spirituality. And then they're like, you're crazy. You right. psychosis. That's different. You know, like people who are grounded, they have loving people in their life. Um, if it's, yeah, if it's making you feel more whole, if it's helping you connect to, to earth, to the universe, to the spirit, and it, it makes you feel good, that is not psychosis. Hmm. Where it tends to kind of concern me is when it um, manifests itself in such a way that the person feels that they need to, you know, convert someone or be a leader and like, you know, amass groups of people and like try to convince people to follow them because, you know, they're, whether it's a reincarnated God or some true Messiah of some sort, like, that's where for me, I feel like it can be a real danger to the community and why understanding these things is so important is because we can fall like we've talked about this in our toxic spirituality and like mm-hmm. manipulation and stuff. It's not always nefarious in the sense that the person may truly feel that that's their reality, like Chris was talking right, about. Right. But that's where it scares me the most is that sometimes it does manifest that way. And at least that's kind of what I've observed just on the on the sidelines of some 
some spiritual people who are very uh, public facing um, yeah. may have that manifestation of, of the psychosis. Yeah. And I think that the, the grandiose type is mostly what you're mm-hmm. talking about where yeah. it's, it can be scary, especially if there's a combination of some kind of personality disorder, like um, narcissistic personality disorder is a real diagnosable personality disorder in the DSM. That's a real thing. I know that often we talk about like, oh, he's a narcissist, right? We just kind of like throw that around. But it's a real, it's a real disorder that's in the DSM. And so if you pair narcissistic personality disorder with something like a grandiose type episode of psychosis, it, it can lead people down really dangerous roads. Now I can't just like diagnose random cult leaders because <laughs> they're not, my <laughs> client. not something I can do but sometimes I do wonder if like that did start from a place of grandiose psychosis plus right, personality right. disorder people like that can be really you know charming they can seem really like wonderful and supportive but really it's you know creating the spiral. So I agree it is really scary that other people can potentially get sucked into that and People who are sucked into that typically, like maybe this triggers their own episode of psychosis or something like that, usually they're predisposed. So it's something uh, like they have schizophrenia in their family, they have bipolar mm-hmm. one in their family, they are doing a lot of drugs and not getting enough sleep, they just gave birth, they like there has to be risk factors involved because most of the time there has to be a reason. It can also be stress and trauma induced, by the way. Severe trauma can also trigger a psychosis. And it's important to know, too, that like all of that is psychosis is treatable with the amount of with the right amount of support and medication and that kind of thing. But it does get scary in the community, especially with something as fast paced as TikTok. And because, you know, people can be convincing, especially when they're really confident in themselves. It can be. I've worried about that, like, because uh, there is a, a phenomenon of like group psychosis, like group hallucination, and I'm actually not sure if that's in the DSM. I think it might just be considered a phenomenon. I forgot to mention, like, even though this is my profession, this is my job, I'm also human, and that there's absolutely things. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna not know, but there is that phenomenon of of like group psychosis, which really makes me concerned with the accessibility of social media and how quick paced it is. Yeah. And I, I have had people, um, in my life who, you know, know about what I do and know about like friends that I'm connected to who also do the same things, you know, work with spirit and are able to see them and things like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's been times when like, I've been with friends who are also able to see the same things that I'm mm-hmm. seeing without us having a real concrete way of us explaining how we would be able to see the same thing and not, you know, first somehow be influencing each other. Like there's been times when Alyssa and I will you know, write separately what we're seeing and then compare notes and it will be the same thing. It's wild. Um, it's so, so cool. cool. Yeah, yeah. It's so cool. Very... Sometimes I wonder about the collective consciousness because well, that's yeah. the thing. There's something there. There has to be. Right. right. And I love that you brought that up because I was kind of wondering the difference between group psychosis and collective consciousness yeah. when you mentioned oh that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because there's, 
the person that would be like talking to a therapist, the therapist was like, well, it sounds like, you know, that person is experiencing group psychosis. So I, it does bring up the question of like, when people are experiencing the same thing, like, you know, in a case of like, Alyssa and I seeing the same spirit or something like that, um, would that be considered something that would be, you know, joint psychosis or group psychosis, or would that be more categorized as universal consciousness or both? Yeah. Yeah, You know, I think that's a really good question. I've never thought of it before. I think that psychology and the counseling field, unfortunately, are really like, they're really just grooted in the Grooted. <laughs> They're really just rooted. I am Groot. I am Groot. They're really rooted in the physical world, right? So they're focusing on like, is this is this causing severe distress? Is it isolating this person? Is it yeah. creating issues in their work and home life? Um, is it harming them? But then there's those things about the collective consciousness where people have, you know, precognitive uh, predictions about some tragedy happening, which is also really distressing. And yet it happens. So I think the answer of that question is that we really don't know. And because spirituality is something that's based in like belief, faith, personal experiences, and sometimes collective experiences, it's very hard for Western psychology to be able to say, oh no, that's not valid versus oh no, it is. So instead, because of cultural humility and understanding that people have different beliefs and spiritualities, the focus always returns back to, is this harming this person? Right. Right. Amazing. Uh, this is such a beautiful topic. I'm so excited. that you're I'm, here. I'm so, so excited. I'm literally on the edge of my seat. Oh my God. Every word. <laughs> such determination and pause. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> But I love talking about this stuff. This is very fascinating. And um, I just, oh God, okay. Anyway, I need to stop like (laughs) geeking out over here. Um, One of the questions that we also wanted to know was, uh, since we're talking about this in obviously a spiritual sense, and this is very much a great segue into this next question. Are there any signs that someone can look out for within themselves, which I know you kind of answered before where the person doesn't necessarily know that they're in psychosis, but is there a way that we can almost do like a self check-in to make sure that we're um, maybe avoiding approaching psychosis or something? And, And again, I kind of realized that this question is a little bit silly now that you've you've talked a bit more about how the person may not know they're in psychosis. Also, they may have something else underlying that it's kind of a, it's a bit of an interesting question, but I don't know. Um, Is there some sort of way we can kind of check in with ourselves a little bit? Yeah. I think that it's important to always be checking in with ourselves. And I think that one of the number one things you can do is make sure that you have a community around you or family or friends that when you are most grounded you know with certainty you can trust them so that if they come to you and they say, hey, I'm worried about you. I've seen these changes of behavior. Mm. I've seen you withdraw from all of us. We care about you. We're worried that there is a possibility you can hear that because you've already established this this knowing. For for me, for example, that experience was so scary that like I made a plan that if if I were to ever start feeling weird and a friend or family member came to me and was like, hey, I think something's going on, 
that I would immediately just follow what they tell me to do, which is probably Mm -hmm. like therapy, go to the hospital, get medication, whatever it might be. So I think that the social support and community piece is the number one thing that you can do because uh, most of the time psychosis, you're not going to know that you're starting to like go down this slippery slope, but you can also look out for your own social withdrawal but the psychosis might also be telling you in that moment that that's what you have to do to protect yourself and stay safe. Right. Uh, so that's the tricky part of it. Yeah, I do think that that's like it, it, it can be hard because a lot of people within um, spiritual practices and spiritual communities are kind of isolated because, you know, maybe they have parents who don't believe in their practice or they have roommates where they don't feel like they can really be open about it yeah. or sometimes they don't even really have friends who also practice and are open to like caring about their experiences and stuff. And I know for Alyssa and I, like one of the experiences that we talk about within the past couple years where like looking back on it, we were just like, wow, we were, we were close. Like, yeah, yeah. We were, <laughs> there we were, were a couple pretty... times. Yeah. Where... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but she like close. Yeah. And we had each other to kind of bounce off of, yeah. of like, you know, when you're hearing someone else talk about the same situation, because we had found out like similar situ, like similar information about each other at the same time. So it kind of made it easy for us to talk about it and be like, okay, whoa, that's maybe like getting into like a territory that we need to take our time to go into before we go there. Because like, it's just a lot of information at once. So like, let's process this, you know, because it was, it was past life and parallel life related, which, you know, I can talk about. Yeah. I can talk about here because it won't sound weird, but like Mm -hmm. it was really intense. And that was a question I had too, of like, because I, well, I should ask you like, what are your thoughts really quickly on like, you know, parallel lives and past lives? Mm -hmm. And is that something that you believe in? And if so, do you feel like that's something that could potentially put some, someone into a state of psychosis if they're too, like rooting themselves too deeply into a different lifetime that would be happening at the same time. Yeah. I think that's a great question. And personally, I absolutely believe in parallel and past lives. I've like had my own um, (laughs) like past life regressions. I've done that kind of thing. And so I personally believe it. I think that what you have to be careful of is like those past lives do not have to define or create an entire reality around you in this life, right? Like if you can use it as information to be like, okay, what lessons did I not learn there Mm -hmm. that I tapped into that are important for me to learn here? Those lessons are never going to be to like isolate yourself more or to not take care of yourself or like interrupt your sleep, right? Those lessons are always going to be healthy changes to take care of yourself more, to connect more with community, which I feel like is really mine. (laughs) It's like, I really need to connect more with community and trust that other people have my back and allow people to show up for me. So if, if your past life regression, if you tapped really hard into that and you feel like it's scaring you or it's making you really anxious and it's changing your behavior in a way that is actually harming yourself or other people, that's the thing to look out for. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Cause it, it was to a point where like Alyssa and I were like, you know what? I think we just need to take a break from like spirituality for like a week yeah. and just chill. Cause Reground. It was, yeah. Cause it was a lot of information. And, and I know that a lot of our clients too recently have kind of been, you know, having experiences where they have information like that coming through and it's a lot to deal with at once. It's a lot to process. Mm-hmm. And it's really important. Like if, if, one of our listeners is listening right now and you've had um, information like that come up. Like, I just really encourage you to like take time to let that process. Like it's yeah, not yeah. going to be something you're going to figure out overnight. And when that kind of information comes through, like that's a lot to process. Like, yeah, it, you know, trying to make sense of living two lives at once, but then also feeling like you have to figure out which one you have to be prioritizing. Like always prioritize this one because this is the one that you started with. Yeah. And like the present. Yeah. Yeah. This is your present and that is where you're supposed to be. I think another thing that we did, Ariel, you and I, that really helped with kind of keeping ourselves grounded wasn't just, wasn't just taking kind of a little bit of a step back from spirituality in general, but was also kind of like allowing ourselves the time to process it and ask critical questions, yes. which would be like, yes. what from this can I apply to my current self instead mm-hmm. of running with it as my current self, you know? Right. Yeah. Right. And I felt like that really helped with kind of really showcasing that there is a difference between the information that we got and the present now, and that it is okay to integrate it but not for it to become the entirety of it right and I felt like that helped with us a lot but it also kind of the the idea of psychosis really being um a danger to yourself and or to others Mm -hmm. it's the danger to yourself part that can be really hard to navigate if you don't have that community around you and you don't have like a friend like we're lucky that we had each other to have this because we realized if we talked about this, we people would literally throw us, you know. Oh, we would be torn in apart. The, yeah. We would absolutely be torn apart. Torn like we apart, would absolutely right? we were like, oh God. Like <laughs> at least we have each other that we can kind yeah. of like be like, whoa, dude, like that's just chill. It's just, um yeah. but if, if somebody doesn't have a community necessarily or mm-hmm. doesn't have like people around them that they can trust, what's a way that they might be able to kind of navigate that a little bit? Yeah, it can be so dangerous because when we're alone in our own brains, especially when you have depression or anxiety or something that just increases risk factors, it can just be this like black hole of terrifying. Like Mm -hmm. the brain can really bring you to really scary, scary places. And if you don't have those people around you that you trust, it's, it's really hard to find any balance. And so I'd recommend if anybody finds themselves in that place and they're isolated, they're alone, they don't have people they can trust, I'd highly recommend either a professional mental health counselor. You can always get evaluated at a behavioral health hospital too. And they'll basically tell you like, okay, you seem like a good fit for outpatient once a week or intensive outpatient. You can be inpatient, you know, something like that where you're getting professional support. And if that's not always accessible to you, peer group therapy is also great. And you can choose anything from like a process group to just process what you're going through to something like dialectical behavioral therapy group, which is more like a class where you learn skills and tools to ground yourself, has a lot of mindfulness, has a lot of um, Buddhist background actually to practice really like centering yourself. 
And through group therapy, I think often people find community in spaces like that, just like with yeah. AA and NA and things like that. I know, actually, you know what? It's funny you mentioned AA. I have a lot of experience mm-hmm. with that as a recovering slash recovered alcoholic. And mm-hmm. AA actually really helped to ground my spiritual experiences during that time of yeah. my life. And it was because I could bounce things off of people who were very open. Like right. these are people who have gone through severe traumas. These are people mm-hmm. who are not there to judge. And if you are, you're not allowed in the space. It's not yeah. meant to be a judgmental space. So um, from a substance abuse slash spiritual experience, kind of like, I guess, like intersection, I found that to be really beneficial and nobody would judge me, you know, and I was yeah. not the only person there who was spiritual, but the, you know, it, the, the irony of it being held in the basement of a church wasn't lost on me. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. That wasn't lost on me at all. Um, but it was partially funded actually by the church. So I was very thankful right. by that. Um, but yeah, it wasn't like, for, like religion wasn't forced on us as a part. It was very mm-hmm. much like, I guess agnostic might be the word for that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, it's, I love that you just mentioned that. I think that's what I heard you say was AA. And I was like, oh, yeah. that helped me yeah. so much. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. I think that AA, NA, any of the 12 step programs or even smart recovery, which is a non-religious, non-spiritual kind of class type um, group. I think that sometimes AA is the very first time people get to be truly vulnerable in their lives, yeah. which is essential to healing. Like we have to be able to break out of that like clay shell that all of our traumas create around us to be able to be fully vulnerably held by other people. So what I love about groups like that, AA, NA, anything like that is that truly it is non-judgmental. You can go there and say outrageous things and people are going to be like, welcome. I'm so happy you're here. Literally. And that's really what it's need. beautiful. It, I yeah. never felt more accepted at Aww. that time in my life than yeah. I did in AA. And I always have such good things to say about yeah. it. It was yeah, so beautiful. Too. I have another question actually mm-hmm. around, because you kind of touched a bit on the course of treatment, but that yeah. makes me wonder about people who are already in a course of treatment. So I'll use myself mm-hmm. as an example. Mm-hmm. I am on certain medications that assist me with general anxiety um, uh, and depression. So if I were to find myself potentially being flagged as on my way to psychosis, mm-hmm. would one potentially be, feel like, okay, well, I'm already on treatment for something that is mental health related. So it might lend me to not think I'm in psychosis because I'm already being treated for something that might be connected to it. Like, I know this is kind of a weird gray zone, but if somebody's already, I guess, being medicated for something, say if I was um, being kind of flagged as, okay, let's say I think you need to go get some help with psychosis. Mm -hmm. What would maybe the treatment be if I was already on some type of medication that would maybe overlap a little bit? Yeah. You know, medication in general is out of the scope of my practice, but I can speak to like just personal experience with medications Mm -hmm. because I too am on antidepressants and anti-anxieties and things like that. Um, And at the time of my psychosis, I was put on a a mood stabilizer and an antipsychotic called uh, Abilify. And so I think that if you're already on medication, the best thing that you can do is talk to your psychiatrist or your prescriber. If you do see a primary care provider, at least in the U.S. and the States, if you're seeing a primary care provider and you tell them, hey, I'm concerned about this, that things are escalating in a more like delusional way, then 
they absolutely should be referring you to a mental health uh, prescriber specialist because often, often prescribers, primary care doctors are comfortable treating anxiety and depression because they're so common. So many people have it. So it's not too complex. But if something starts coming up like psychosis or delusions, paranoia, talk to whoever's prescribing your meds first, and then they will tell you what the best route is in finding either a psychiatric nurse practitioner or a psychiatrist who specializes in those areas. That's a great answer because I was curious too if, because a lot of people sometimes get psychiatrist and psychologist and counselor therapist Mm -hmm. mixed up, or they might feel like all of them have the same I guess, authority for different things. So I was really curious on if which sort of, I guess, you know, domain it would fall under. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, should I just like define those really quickly? Yeah. Please do. Yeah. So a, um, a psychiatrist and a psychiatric nurse practitioner are both prescribers. So they are medication people. I think sometimes people go to, to them and they expect it to be kind of like therapeutic or like, mm-hmm. you know, counseling that this person's going to really ask a lot of questions about their personal life. But they're really concerned about treating mental health from a, a medication perspective. So psychiatrist and psychiatric nurse practitioner is who you would go to. Some states don't have psychiatric nurse practitioner. So that is state dependent. And then psychologists typically have a PhD advanced degree. So that's usually like two two years more than a master's degree. Psychologists typically specialize in assessment and diagnosis. So they're, they're really heavy on like doing assessments, what exactly is happening here from evidence-based um, stuff. And psychologists can also be counselors slash therapist. So they, they can also see people in individual therapy, just like I do work with them on trauma, whatever they might do. So they can kind of take either path in their job. I'm a licensed professional counselor. That means that I have a master's degree and a bachelor's degree. And then I had to do, I think it's like four years of work post-graduation under supervision before I could get fully licensed. And within my scope of practice, I can do I can do a couple of assessments. Um, I can diagnose, but you're not going to have like a full, you know, four hour ADHD diagnose or ADHD assessment with me. I'm probably just going to look at your history. I'm looking more into like what's going on in your life. How do we make your life more functional? What interventions might you need like EMDR or internal family systems? So licensed professional counselors are typically the therapists that people talk about in in pop culture, where it's just like, oh yeah, my therapist said this. That's usually who they're talking about. And then let's see, oh, therapist. So therapist is a very general term that isn't actually connected to any specialty. To be honest, a lot of people can just call themselves a therapist without any qualification. So you want to be careful with that. Oh, that's Um, scary. I didn't know that. There's a breakdown into like, there's physical therapists, there's mental health therapists, There's a somatic experiencing therapist. Everybody has a different level of education that they're and required to be counselors are required to be under a board. Psychologists are required to be under board therapists. It's questionable. Sometimes they're under a board, which is great. Like I, I do believe physical therapists have to be overseen by somebody, Mm -hmm. some overseeing board. And then there's things like life coaching, which to be transparent, I'm actually not super against life coaching. I just want people to do it ethically and be aware of 
when they should be referring to a professional um, mental health therapist or something like that. But life coaches actually don't have any overviewing ethics board where if they do harm, they can actually get in trouble. Whereas in my job, psychiatrists, psychologists, there are pretty giant repercussions if we do something that's knowingly harming somebody. So right. we have good backup that if I do something to a client, intentionally or unintentionally, they have every right and I would I would encourage them to report me to the board because I need to have those kind of repercussions if I'm doing harm. Yeah. Life coaches don't have to do that. That wow, is so good to know because that's, that's good information. Thank you. Yeah. I had no idea about the therapist too. That's, mm -hmm. that's really enlightening, but also terrifying because yeah, it, it is a term that like when you see it, there's a lot of trust behind it. Like it automatically totally. builds this kind of trust in your mind for that person. So mm -hmm. it's really good to know that like that isn't necessarily regulated by a lot of stuff. Um, yeah, so that, people can that go just reminds me. Yeah, it just reminds me of that. It's like it's so paralleled with like dietitian versus nutritionist. Yes. yes. And I'm like, which one are you and who went to yeah. school? Like, <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Which one and of like, you is qualified? I'll call myself like a mental health therapist because it's a toss up. Counselor and therapist in our field is the same thing. And there's yeah. also like licensed clinical social workers who also kind of do the same thing as counselors. We all just have kind of different titles where social workers are often trained in like resources and things like that, which is awesome. We need more social workers and counselors are more trained in like clinical therapy, but we kind of do the same thing if we choose the route of private practice and seeing people individually. So the word therapist is thrown around. It doesn't mean that it's bad, but it, it should flag you to just be like, okay, what's this person's background? Did they, mm -hmm. did they get schooling? Right, right. Are you new to witchcraft or wanting to improve your practice? Then my Patreon is for you. My name is Alyssa. I am a practitioner with over 10 years of experience, and I want to help you to take your practice to the next level. Within my Patreon, you'll find information on the history of witchcraft, the science of magic, exercises for strengthening your clear abilities, spellcrafting and how-tos, baneful magic, and so much more. Join today via patreon.com slash Mystic. Let me help you unlock your magic. My name is Ariel Willow. I'm a clairvoyant medium and occultist with over a decade of experience of helping others build deeper connections with spirit and themselves and improve or reconnect to their abilities. My services cater towards abilities coaching, deity practice, astrology, and more. Visit www.arielwillow.com to find out more. It's time to step into your power. Going into our next question, like, what do you feel like are some misconceptions around psychosis? Like, what are things that you find are common things that people kind of bring up or flag around someone that would be experiencing something like that? Myth yeah. bust. Myth bust us. Myth bust. Yeah. <laughs> Chris, the so, myth buster. I love that. Maybe that should be my TikTok handle. So I guess first and foremost, I think it's really important to recognize that all people have autonomy. We cannot force people to go into treatment. Yeah. People have to choose treatment. The only time somebody can be forced into treatment, and it depends on state law and the law in your country, is if they're at imminent risk 
of harm to themselves or others. That means that they have a, a timeline, a plan for harm. It's going to happen very soon, and they have means for harm. So they have they have pills. They're going to take it. They say they're taking it today. It's it's an emergent situation. Otherwise, we really can't just be like, hey, my friend's in psychosis. You have to pick them up and take them to the hospital. Right. Um, we There's laws that protect people's autonomy. And so people get to have a choice in their treatment. So I think that that's really important to highlight, not only with psychosis, but all mental health stuff, unless it's an emergent, immediate threat to harm uh, self or others, people still get autonomy and choice. So that's always number one. One of the other misconceptions about psychosis is that it's like due to somebody's personal failing or something like that, like that it's a weakness or that they chose that. Psychosis is not ever a choice. Even if it's in a situation like mine where it's drug drug induced, I chose to take those drugs. Yeah. Uh, it does not mean that I chose psychosis. That was a side effect, a symptom of that drug use and lack of sleep at the time. The causes of psychosis are really complex and they're they're influenced by so many different factors. Like I said, the stress, trauma, the thyroid thing. And Truly, it can happen to anybody. So if you find yourself in a place where you're struggling to have compassion because somebody is to you like totally delusional and off the wall and you're like angry about it, it's important to recognize it can happen to any of us. Some of us have higher risk factors than others by having schizophrenia or bipolar in the family. But any of us can have a thyroid imbalance and then suddenly like you're in a totally different reality. Any of us who can give birth can have postpartum psychosis. That's something that can absolutely happen to any of us. So when you find yourself judgmental about somebody going through it, it's really important to reel yourself in and recognize that this can be you. It's It, it kind of reminds me of uh, houselessness. Houselessness can happen to anybody as well, right? Yep, anybody yep. can end up in in their car in the streets ariel i think that i first met you when you were like outside of amazon yeah yeah i was literally living in a van in the amazon parking lot yeah your poor (laughs) broken down van yeah yeah and it's i i talk to people about that all the time of like you know when i when i talk to them about being homeless like i'm like everybody is literally one step away yes. from homelessness and nobody knows it until they're there and it's like suddenly you can't make it to your job and you can't pay your bills you're homeless yeah like that's how quickly it can happen it's one of those things where i guess like with psychosis like when you go through that you become so much more aware of yeah you're getting close to it so like my anxiety around paying bills and like being on top of things grew so much after being homeless that like it's, you know, paying rent is like, yeah, really, really anxiety inducing now because of that. There's just, there's so many things like that people are so close to and they don't realize it until they've gone through it themselves. And psychosis just happens to be one of those things. And there's been, you know, times when like, of course, at, in the moment, I didn't feel like it was um, psychosis. But looking back on it, I was just like, "Oh wow, yep, I was, <laughs> I was experiencing something," because you know of trauma or because mm-hmm. of like 
you know, spiritual stuff suddenly coming up and it being a lot and overwhelming. Like there's so many experiences that we have where we're just one step away from something and we don't realize it until sometimes we look back at it and we're just like, oh, wow, like that happened so quickly. But yeah, houselessness for sure. It. I mean, for the listeners, we were talking before recording that um, I got an injury this week where I cannot walk and I might not be able to walk for several months. And luckily, because I'm a telehealth counselor, I get to work from home. But I I suddenly had this realization of like, if if I had a physical job, I could not have an income right now. That would be completely mm-hmm. taken away. Mm-hmm. I would not be able to then pay my mortgage. I could then lose my house. I could then have to live in my car. Uh, and then I couldn't f- afford my car payments, right? It, houselessness, psychosis, injury, disability, it can happen to any of us at any time. So that's mm-hmm. all the more important to have as much compassion as you can when you can, right? Like leading with compassion instead of shame is always going to feel better for the other person and for you. Yeah. Uh, so if you have a choice, if you can recognize if you're being, um, if you're getting drawn into that negativity or things like that, just remember compassion changes people. That was um, a great line, by the way, Chris. Having <laughs> oh, compa- something I can't, I, I'm going to butcher it now, but having compassion <laughs> for other, what did you say? It was so perfect. Oh, I was like, that sure slayed, <laughs> but it was like, having we'll have compassion. to listen back. <laughs> yeah, we'll listen back. But yeah. my God, that really hit home. But I agree oh, with you that that compassion aspect is so critical. And yeah. I do feel like, you know, we've been talking a little bit about TikTok and social media and how that can be a bit dangerous sometimes. And mm-hmm. since that's something that we all participate in, you know, the three of us here and most likely many of our listeners participate in navigating in social media, but especially within spiritual spaces, I do feel like for a space that usually considers themselves to be quite compassionate to people who are different or othered or outside of social norm. I find them to be quite mean to people who might be in situations that are different than their own or might be experiencing things that might be, you know what I mean? So I'm glad we're sort of bringing that up so we can remind people that compassion goes much further than you think. Yeah. I'm going to go even more into like what, how do you approach someone to with that compassion mindset because as I was researching all this, making sure I have good information, I was thinking about that mother who killed her three kids not long ago, maybe six months ago. It was already labeled. She had postpartum psychosis after her third child. She was, I believe, a um, delivery nurse. And so she was like living a totally normal, typical Mm -hmm. life. And then she had postpartum psychosis. And online, there are so many people who were like, yeah, I understand she had psychosis, but that doesn't excuse killing your kids. And like, of course it doesn't. But also when you're in psychosis, you are not in reality. And we can't can't assume what was going on in her inner world. But just like a, a vignette, a scenario is like, if you believe that the devil is coming after your children and that the only way you can save them is to kill them, you truly believe that in the yeah, moment. Yeah. And and so you can act in a way that in our reality is absolutely unacceptable and horrible and horrific and still be acting from the place that the psychosis was trying to like do something good or something like was right. supposed to happen. So I think it's important to remember like truly this can happen to anybody and that actually brings me to my next point on misconceptions about psychosis which is violence a lot of people because of sensationalized stories like that when something just horrific happens people often assume that 
people in psychosis are violent. But I really want to hit home that research shows that most people in psychosis are not violent. And in fact, they're more likely to be victims of violence. And that's true for most mental health diagnoses. Most people who have a mental health diagnosis and they're struggling are way more likely to be a victim in in any situation rather than perpetuating violence. And that doesn't mean it never happens, but the stereotype is, is not true. And then as far as other misconceptions go, I'll just kind of go down my list. Some people think it's a permanent condition it's not. Some people with schizophrenia may may deal with it most of their lives, but treated, you can live a functional life just like anybody else. There's plenty of people living with schizophrenia who have jobs and families and are just like living their lives. It's treated with reasonable support and medication. People believe that psychosis is uncommon. It's not. It's relatively common. It can happen to anybody. Effective treatments, they work, right? Like my Abilify worked. I, I was taken out of that psychosis and suddenly was like, oh shit, this is reality. Another misconception is that hallucinations are constant. So it's like, oh, who do you see in the room right now? Or like, what's going on? What hallucination? They can come and go. They're not constant. Sometimes they're auditory. They can be tactile where it feels like somebody's touching you. It can be visual. It can show up in so many different ways. And then Lastly, it's a totally varied experience. So one person's psychosis is going to look totally different from another person. So there's no one way to be like, okay, this person checks every single box, therefore this thing. Everybody's so different. So it's a varied experience. Yeah. And one thing that came to mind when you were talking about the experience of like people witnessing psychosis from the outside is I think in those situations, a lot of times we let our morals affect our compassion. Mm -hmm. And it's like we we place one above the other. And when in reality, like the best way to approach it is to have a balance with Right. Them of like knowing that, yes, morally it's wrong or morally it goes against what you believe to be, you know, correct or true. But there still has to be an element of compassion because that person doesn't necessarily have a choice in the sense that they don't realize that they have a choice. Yeah. Like that mother, right? The the way I can ground into compassion for her is I can only imagine as she's in prison, she'll be there a very, very long time. She's probably going to get treated for her psychosis. She's going to have some medications. When she comes out of that psychosis and realizes what happened, she's going to be devastated. Yeah, She's like fully coming back into reality and realizing that that's something that you did. That's so heartbreaking. And so if nothing else, grounding into the fact that when people do come to reality, they have so much pain and shame. And she has to live with that the rest of her life because she happened to be one of the people who ended up with postpartum psychosis. So if you can't ground into the the like, well, I can't have compassion for her killing those children, maybe see if you can have compassion for what it must be like to come out of that psychosis, that delusion, and suddenly realize what happened. Because that must be so scary. Right. And as someone who has experienced like mental health struggles, like that, it makes me emotional to think about that because it's just like so heartbreaking. And when you have been in a space where like your mental health and your experiences within that space have caused harm to others and you are able to like come back and kind of witness it after the math, like... Oh, that is such, it's such a hard place to be in. And it's, it's, it's very hard to 
look at someone else experiencing that and not have compassion for right. for that situation. I, I realize I had this question and Chris, I am curious as to what is the fundamental difference between psychosis and dissociative identity disorder versus mm-hmm. like between the two? Because I feel like for people who go through psychosis, there might be people who are like, oh, they probably have DID or yeah. it might be a manifestation of DID, but can they can obviously be separated as we've been talking about, but what are mm-hmm. the fundamental differences? Yeah. I mean, DID is its own totally separate diagnosis. And I'm not an expert on DID, so I'm going to talk pretty general on what I know of it and some of the people I've worked with because I'm a trauma specialist. DID almost always comes from trauma. It it basically shatters the internal world in a therapeutic approach called internal family systems. We see ourselves as multiple parts. So we see that we are the self, which is grounded, compassionate, kind, curious, creative. And then we also have managers that are like inner critics and judges. We have exiles, which are the things we want to just like vote off the island, like pain and grief, loneliness, things that we feel are unacceptable. And then we also have firefighters, which are basically maladaptive coping skills to make sure that the whole system isn't overloaded by the exile. So say a loneliness comes in and you binge eat or you do drugs or something. That coping skill is the firefighter. So in from my understanding in DID, it's a shattering of all of those parts where they no longer have contact with each other. And I know mm. that some people with lived experience say that they have built contact with each other. Like I said, I'm not I'm not a professional in DID, but I do always lean on listening to the lived experience of people over what is necessarily in the DSM right now. Because ultimately yeah. in the DSM-3, being gay was was a disorder. Right, so right. I think it's really important to take that lightly and recognize that people have all kinds of different lived experiences. So I think that the, the difference between psychosis and DID is that in DID, there's a fragmented inner world of all of the different parts. And it's, mm-hmm. um, it's always caused by some kind of traumatic experience, usually in young childhood. But I don't think that it always has to be young childhood. It's just more common for that. So it can look like psychosis, but I think that the only one that you would apply is maybe delusion. But even that, if we're looking from an internal family perspective, it's just the different parts of them, but it's Mm -hmm. just fragmented. So I don't know if they would necessarily call that a delusion, but I think that people might see it as that. Ah, okay. That makes sense. Thanks so much for answering that. It was a, a question that I just, I was really curious about. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And another question I had was, are there kind of levels to psychosis in the sense that you can have like a very mild psychosis or a very severe psychosis. Is there levels or is it just kind of more generalized? Yeah. You know, in the DSM, I'm not sure if they have like a ranking system, but what I do know is that as unique human beings, everything exists on a spectrum, everything, right? Like gender, autism, all of these things exist on on a spectrum. And so some people might be, you know, they have 
I don't remember how many qualifiers there was, you know, I'm just going to guess, but like nine out of nine symptoms of uh, psychosis, that might be more extreme, right? It's really intense, but you only need two symptoms of the nine. Again, I can't remember if there's nine or not, but you only need two to be diagnosed. So like everything, I think that it's on a spectrum and I'm not sure if in the DSM there's an actual like ranking system. Right, right. As far as like, because I know with Alyssa asking about dissociative identity disorder, it made me wonder about dissociation as well. Mm -hmm. Like, is that something that would be categorized under psychosis or is that more of a separate thing? I think that somebody with psychosis can have dissociation, but just because somebody has dissociation doesn't mean they have psychosis. It's kind of like how I can't remember which way it goes, but like a square is n- not a rectangle. No, a square is a rectangle, but a rectangle is not a square kind of right, thing. Right, right. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Where, again, dissociation often shows up from trauma in the past. I think that dissociation also gets a bad rap as being something that's really, really bad. But dissociation is also what happens when we're in the flow of like creating art or dancing. Right. There is something that can connect us to ourselves through dissociation, but maladaptive dissociation can be really, really dangerous because you could be driving and suddenly you're somewhere that you didn't expect to be. That's really dangerous. If you're dissociating chronically, it feels like you're not living your life, almost like you're watching your life play out in a video game. And so those are things that it's usually tied to trauma. Trauma treatment can help with dissociation. And so can things like a a long-term practice of mindfulness, especially if it's mindfulness connected to the body, like wiggling your toes, like these are my toes, feeling your hands, these are my hands, tapping your head, this is my head, just to kind of like remind yourself that you, you exist inside of this, this human vessel. Right, right. Yeah. And then our next question, how can friends or family like or people around those who may be experiencing psychosis, because I know we kind of went over this earlier, approach something like that or a situation where they might be concerned about someone, how can they approach that in a way that might help create an environment where that person feels safe enough to talk to them about what they're experiencing or Mm -hmm. uh, maybe even get treatment? Um, Because I know that we've kind of sprinkled this kind of advice throughout our discussion so far. So it's just kind of more of a cumulation of all of those things. But is there anything in addition to what we've already talked about uh, that you would recommend for people to just generally approach those situations? Like I said earlier, compassion has to be the number one thing. You have to recognize this is not a personal failing of this person. They are not purposefully paranoid and saying that you're out to get them because they want to do that. This is something that's going on in their brain and it has nothing to do with you. So I would suggest if you have somebody you love going through psychosis, you should also get professional support because it's Mm -hmm. so important for you to stay grounded, to not lean into the codependence of like, only I can save this person. It's really hard to support a friend or family member who's going through any mental health crisis and you also deserve support because caregiver burnout is also a very real thing. So all that said, If you're approaching somebody, a friend, somebody who's close to you, who you suspect is going through something like psychosis, you want to approach them compassionately, gently, kindly, and lovingly. And recognize that they may be having hallucinations or delusions about you, just like me with my partner, right? They are wonderful. And I still thought they were going to murder me 
right? Like I was not grounded into reality at all. And if they had approached me with like, why would you think that about me? I would never do that to you. I would, I would get scared and I would fall even further into that delusion of losing insight into like this person cares about me. So I think it's really important to remove yourself, like kind of emotionally, spiritually from the situation that if they're, if they're pinning something on you, paranoid about something, that's the condition right? Like that has nothing to do with you. So try your best to like remove how hurtful it can feel in the moment. I think the next thing is recognize that people have autonomy and treatment. Like I said earlier, you cannot force your loved one into therapy or into getting medications. What you can do is maybe love them into getting therapy (laughs) and medications, right? If you're like, I care about you so much and I see that you're, you can start with something like, I see that you're depressed because you're struggling with your self-care, right? I see you haven't taken a shower in two weeks. Maybe a therapist could help. That could be a little in to get them the support, the professional support that they need without them if they have paranoid type without them pinning you as one of the enemies or something like that. So coming from a lens of like, hey, I care about you and I see that you're scared. So recognize you cannot force them into treatment. And then the best thing that you can do really is, is express loving concerns. So things like, hey, I've noticed you're struggling to keep your apartment clean. Can I come help? Because again, this causes isolation. They're not seeing people for days on end. So if you're willing, you have the capacity, you feel like you're grounded enough because you do want to protect yourself emotionally, you can offer something like that. I've noticed you're struggling. Can I come help clean clean your apartment this weekend? Again, they might have paranoid thoughts about that. So just be aware if if they're like too scared of that, that might be, you know, a sign that they're in psychosis and it isn't isn't your, your thing to become defensive about. You could say something like, I've noticed that you're isolating yourself and I would love to come and take a walk with you. Like, would that be helpful? Or I'd love to come and just like watch friends together, right? Think about what their favorite show is and just be like, hey, I want to be there. You can also make it about yourself, ironically, where it's like, hey, I've been feeling really lonely. I miss you. Can I come over and we can watch some TV together? Yeah, right, because yeah. they're gonna take that less as like you infiltrating something, right? And it takes off. the focus off them, exactly. Yeah, it takes the focus off them. So you can make it about yourself and just be like, Hey, I really miss you. I want to see you. I'm feeling sad. Can I come over? They might accept that more. Uh, another example is this is kind of like an outrageous example, but I see that you feel like you're being chased by aliens and that must be like really scary. I can only imagine how scary that is. Would it help if maybe you could talk to somebody about it? I noticed that you're really scared. Like, can I find a therapist to help you like talk about how scary it is to be chased by aliens? The thing that you don't want to do is be like, dude, that's not real. Like aliens are not after you. Like that is crazy. That's going to force somebody into even further isolation and delusion. So even as counselors, we are not being like, no, that's not real. In fact, what we do is we try to make sure that they feel seen and heard and that we're curious about it. So we're like, when the aliens show up, like, that must be so scary. What's that like for you? Right? Because, again, people only heal by being heard. They want to feel heard and seen. And once they have an open platform to really talk about, like, yeah, it is scary. They show up at night and they feel truly heard by their therapist. They are much more willing once rapport is built 
and the therapist can say, hey, I'm concerned that you have this thing that that's called psychosis. Let me tell you a little bit about other people's experiences and what healing, what medications can look like for you. Because then they trust, okay, you've heard me out. I trust you. I'm going to follow your advice. Right. Well, that or like making jokes about it, like mm-hmm. it, that can really create this sense of shame for someone and like bringing it up or even feeling comfortable talking to someone about it. Cause like even outside of psychosis, like there's been times when I've really wanted to share like a spiritual experience that I've had with someone and then I share it and then they're just like making jokes about it. And then I'm just like, wow, okay. Yep. Feel super invalid in my experience and super shameful about sharing it now. And doesn't that make you not want to talk about it or isolate yourself? Cause it's like, Ooh, okay. That person couldn't hold that. So I guess I won't say anything more. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it just kind of creates this like sense of distrust between people. So it's, and there's like, for example, Alyssa, I love you, but like there, you know, if, if Alyssa were to come to me and talk to me about something that sounded very outlandish to me, I would probably laugh at first because like we're best friends and like, that would be probably an experience, like a reaction that I would have. But if I, if I felt like they were being serious about it and they were Mm -hmm. like approaching it in a way of like, this is real to me, like, I would then revert and be like, oh, wow, okay, I'm so sorry right. that I laughed at that. Like, yeah. that sounds really yeah. serious. Can we talk about it? I'm yeah, and way. you two have it, the rapport, would, yeah. right, for yeah. Alyssa to be like, ooh, that hurts. Right, right. Oh, for sure. And I think yeah. that that's what's so valuable about having close people in your life where, you know, and I, I'm the same way, Ariel, I'd probably be laughing because, <laughs> you know, that's what we're like. But but if yeah. it was a real situation for you, then then it would most definitely be like, oh, that, that kind of hurt a little bit. And then we can yeah, revisit right, it together right. and kind of work mm-hmm. through it. And I think that that's such a beautiful thing to have with the people that are in your life to kind of keep you grounded. And I love this conversation so much because we're kind of looking at how things can manifest in different ways when it revolves around psychosis. And one of the things that I wanted to also ask was around treatment options. We know that there's medication and that there's obviously professional assistance, which is always like the number one thing that Ariel and I will default to for our clients yeah. if we if we are if it's outside of the scope of what like what we can do as spiritual coaches and things and this has also been a very illuminating episode to understand psychosis in a deeper much deeper and more fulsome way and one of the things that I wanted to to maybe understand a little bit more is what is some of the kind of I guess I'm going to use the word mundane but what are the more kind of like non-drug or professional help treatment ways that we can stay grounded? Would it be by talking about our experiences with people we trust to kind of help keep ourselves grounded and practicing grounding techniques and Mm -hmm. like breathing exercises, taking breaks from spirituality? What would those sort of fall into a nice way to kind of keep ourselves grounded? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that all of those things outside of professional intervention is the like first thing any of us should go to, right? Like Mm -hmm. if, if you're getting overwhelmed and scared because something's coming up in your spiritual life that feels like too much, take a break. I really, 
appreciate mindfulness, even though it's so therapist cliche to be like, mindfulness, breathe. Um, (laughs) But the purpose of that is actually because the autonomic nervous system is connected to the lizard brain, which is like our brainstem and our amygdala. And that's the place where we can get triggered and where like fear is really heavy. So adrenaline and cortisol rush up to the other parts of the brain and we no longer have contact with logic. We no longer have contact to the limbic system, which makes us feel a sense of social belonging because that's the mammalian brain. So when you're in that space of like amygdala brainstem triggered, the only thing that you can do is basic needs, which includes breathing. Breathing is our only autonomic nervous system thing that we actually have real control over. I think that there was some studies on Buddhist monks that there was some control over like their blood pressure and their heart rate, which is really cool. But I'm not quite sure about that piece. What I do know is that we all have access to the breath. And so when I say like, okay, let's take some deep breaths, I'm not saying like just breathe. I'm saying I want you to feel the sensations of the air as it enters your nostrils and goes down into the belly. I want you to feel the sensations of your belly rising. And then I want you to feel the sensations of the the heat from the air come up all the way through your mouth and out your mouth because it connects you to the body when you're triggered because adrenaline and cortisol make it so that you literally cannot think. And then next to that baseline needs food, water, shelter, predictability, and routine and movement. Uh, so those are the baseline needs that have to be addressed before you can move into the midbrain, which is responsible for sensory input and movement. So then you can get some movement, you can smell some things, you can hear some things. And only when all of those are addressed, then you can get up to the limbic system to feel social belonging. And above that is the cerebral cortex, which is responsible for executive functioning and and logic. So when we're thinking about coping skills, when we're concerned that we're ungrounded, the number thing, the number one thing we all have access to is the breath. Barring some people with disabilities who might have trouble with breathing, then their their tool should probably be like tapping or something that's that's not happening in the lungs because that yeah. might cause more panic. So I just want to honor like some people do not have access to their breath all the time, but a lot of us do. So the breath, mindfulness, reminding yourself that this is your body by tapping on it, getting into a support group, right? I think getting professional help in most places, especially in the U.S. with the healthcare system, is a huge privilege. And so if people don't have the means, my biggest recommendation is to find the nearest community mental health center because they have to take everybody regardless of ability to pay. So if you need professional help, go there. If you feel like like you two had those examples of focusing on each other, taking a break, that that's the first place to go. And yeah. if it gets worse or it stays the same, probably seek uh, professional help if you can. Yeah. And I know because within the U.S., like um, I, I really like the suggestion of the community health center because I when I not was in psychosis, although I experienced psychosis around that time. But when I was like really severely depressed um, in my late teens, that was where I got treatment was through a community health center, was in like inpatient for two weeks and then Mm -hmm. had therapy afterwards and I didn't have to spend a penny. So it is definitely something to look into if you are financially really limited. And I had a job at the time. So like 
even if you do have a job, like you are very likely to be able to either be on a, a really um, good sliding scale or like free altogether. Um, but you have to be willing to like check it out and actually like yeah. see what's available to you. Cause that's, I think something that prevents a lot of people from getting help um, at least here in the U S of like that financial aspect of things that makes it so hard to get yeah. access to help that we want, but that we don't feel like we have a, the ability to get. Um, yeah. So that's definitely something to check out. And I'm glad that you mentioned that. Yeah, same. Exactly. And in Canada, for those who are Canadian like me, love you. Mental <laughs> health services provided through the government run public system, like services that you receive through like your local mental health center or team. There's also an outpatient psychiatry at a hospital that's most often covered as well, that it would be free. But outside of that, there's also similar to the states where it's kind of state dependent, you may have provincially dependent run mental health uh, systems as well. So in Ontario, we have the Mental Health Act that protects us under the Mental Health Act and is also one of the ways that someone can exert the Mental Health Act is actually by having someone admitted if they do uh -huh. you know have one of those situations where they may be may be on the verge of causing themselves or others harm or already have yeah. done so so yeah. it is definitely important to read up on what is available to you and what kind of different um services are available to you as well yeah and some of the states have similar laws like the baker act all all of the different states have different names for it but sometimes when somebody is a a risk to themselves or others, imminent risk, they can be put on a 72-hour hold yes. against their their will. Mm -hmm. And they're still going to be released at the end of that 72 hours. And if they don't want help, they're not going to be forced into taking it. So just be aware, like there are some laws protecting loved ones if they're at imminent risk of harm. And I think it's definitely worth looking up the laws in your area. I'm a huge fan of community community mental health. I worked for one for four years. And what I love about it is all of the clinicians and the prescribers uh, and the caseworkers, we all worked together. So we had like this cohesive weekly meetings to discuss our cases, making sure that people have what we call wraparound care. So if you go in just for the mental health symptoms, you're also going to get a caseworker that can help you find gainful employment where your employer understands your mental health issue and can make accommodations. Oh, that's or, awesome. Yeah, or they're connected to things like the community action team that can provide tents and um, sleeping bags if you're houseless or resources of like where else to go for shelter, things like that. So it's always worth looking it up. Another thing I want to mention is counselors are – ethically unable to charge for referrals. So something people don't know is you can reach out to literally any counselor, even if they say that they're full, their caseloads are full and say, hey, I know that your caseload's full. I think that I might be having some delusion or psychosis. I'm really worried. Can you give me some referrals? And we're ethically, we ethically have to provide those referrals. So what I do is I just reach out to my um, my listserv, my colleagues, and I say, hey, this person is dealing with this. They have this insurance. I need three referrals. And then I just email back the person oh, with those awesome. three referrals. So if you're struggling to find help, reach out to any counselor and we will give you referrals. 
That's awesome. I love, I love knowing that. I had no idea. <laughs> That's yeah. really cool to know. So before we kind of wrap things up, like another question we had of around psychosis was what is something that you wish people were more aware of when it came to psychosis in general? Yeah, I think that the biggest thing for me is that it's not the person's fault and what they're feeling is incredibly and terrifyingly true to them. The, the one thing is that compassion piece. I'm always going to return to that. The kindest thing you can do is be compassionate and validate. Like that sounds so scary and really sink into the fact that there's no relation to reality in that state. They do not have the ability to rationalize or think logically a lot of the time. And so if we can just all have some some kindness and compassion towards the fact that they're they're functioning in exactly the way that their world is telling them to function in that moment and that all people are doing the best that they can at all times. Yeah. That's yeah. great. What an amazing shift we have. I've noticed just over the years from like, and you guys are probably may have you know, experienced similar things in growing up, but like mental health growing up for me was just so stigmatized. And oh even yeah. Having yeah. these conversations would have been not even taken seriously. Mm -hmm. And it's just right. great that we can have these conversations and have this awareness today. And it's taken, in my opinion, a lot more seriously than it ever was before. There's lots of work to be done. And there's a lot of a lot more education and awareness that needs to go around it. But compassion is a great thing to default to when it yeah. comes to mental health, for sure. Even the conversation about spirituality and mental health together, like that, yeah. that alone, I feel like is only just kind of becoming something that people can discuss without um, it being taboo or weird yeah. or things like that. Like, I love that we're able to have conversations now that combines both of those elements together because, yeah. you know, a lot of people just call witchcraft like spicy psychology, like things <laughs> like that. And I do feel like it in a lot of ways, like being able to have both of those things combined together, have, you know, awareness uh, around the mental health implications of um, spiritual practice and things like that is such a beautiful way to approach spiritual practice and spiritual belief. And yeah. I just, I love seeing that because it, it wasn't really like that when I was growing up, it was either like, you're a normal person, you're stable mentally, or you are spiritual and absolutely unstable mentally. Right. <laughs> and there was no yeah. balance. And isn't it so weird too, that it's like with religion, it's so accepted. But if you go into like mm -hmm. being religious, it's like, oh, there's nothing wrong with you. But if you're spiritual and you fall outside of like yep. the mainstream religion, yeah. all of a sudden you're kooky. It's so weird. Right. Yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot because I think that w in society, we love putting things in drawers. We yeah, love putting yeah. things in categories and saying it's black or it's white. There's no in between. But I think that spirituality for me has really grounded me in the space of like, life is so complex and nuanced and almost all of its gray area there mm -hmm. there's very little this or that black and white this side or that that side people are so complex and have so many different life experiences that spiritually if it allows us to ground into holding all things with compassion and kindness that could be really like life-changing for for us and for our communities our societies and also we shouldn't blame ourselves for wanting to put things in categories and 
black and whites because that's actually just human evolution. It makes us feel safe. So if you feel uncomfortable with sitting in the middle, that's probably a sign that that might be your, your next mindfulness journey is to practice sitting uncomfortably in the middle because that's what actually exists. Your brain's tricking you saying that, oh, you're safe in black and white because there's a solution. There's an answer. We as humans hate not having answers or the unknown. So the, the practice, the spiritual practice of mindfulness or grounding, it really is settling into, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that can be really uncomfortable. Like the unknown is uncomfortable, but it's also where we find the most growth. And that's the exciting part. And what's really cool is that Chris is both a mental health professional and a witch. So they do exist. (laughs) Yeah, they do exist. And And I'm not the only one. I have friends. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. So I guess what I want to leave off with is, Chris, if you are comfortable with like people reaching out to you, if that's something that you feel comfortable with, how they would be able to do that, where they can find information about you or your you know, practice if you ever have openings, because I'm sure you're very, very popular. (laughs) Um, And, and also like where on social media, they can find you and things like that. Like how can they get in touch or follow you on your journey moving forward? Yeah. So professionally, if you want to reach out to me, my website is Chiron's Cave Holistic com Chiron after the wounded healer, of course. I have lots of information on there about EMDR, trauma treatment. I have a page for end-of-life doula work and resources for people who might be at the end of their, their lives or people who have loved ones at the end of their lives and just want some resources. So if you want to check out my professional work, you can reach out through my website. I think that my email is also on there. My caseload is full. And because of this injury, I'm actually trying to pare down. And I also don't carry a wait list. But if you're looking for resources or referrals, I'm always happy to help. The only caveat is I'm licensed in New Mexico and Oregon only. So I'm only going to have resources and referrals for those two states. Mm. But if you are listening from one of those two states and and you're curious about um, either working together or finding a counselor who has a similar belief system as me, please definitely reach out and I can help you find some referrals. For other things like socials, my TikTok is Cosmic Counselor Chris. I'm not like posting every day or have consistent content though. So just be aware that sometimes it's just like videos of my cats being precious. Um, Sometimes it's it's art stuff. Sometimes it's counseling stuff. So I'm definitely not consistent with my socials. And then people are welcome to request to follow me on my personal Instagram. But again, it's like just me and my friends. Uh, And that one is queer eye for thick thighs. Yeah, yeah, it is. (laughs) This is great. You should follow her. Absolutely. And we'll have everything linked to Chris below as well in the description or the comments or however your your platform is set up. But yeah, thank you so much, Chris. Oh, I'm so you. excited about this topic. And I, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us on this episode because this is something, like I said, Alyssa and I have been wanting to talk about for so long. And yeah. it feels honestly like a weight off my shoulders now that it's been talked about. Like I'm so excited because I really feel like this episode will be so helpful for so many people as I feel like it's been helpful for me just, you know, in the time that we've talked about this. So I'm really, really excited about 
this episode being out in the world and, you know, a, a new little ghosty baby in, in the world. And I'm <laughs> and so excited like, about it. Thank you for sharing not just your expertise, but also your personal experiences. That's yeah. so great. So thank you so much for being willing to share those with us. And we loved having you here on Ghost Tea. And I am so, so grateful for the information you've shared. This is, I guarantee this is going to help someone because it it helped me. <laughs> so yeah. I hope that this, uh, you know, share with your friends and all that stuff, because this is great information. And Chris is amazing. Go check her out. Go check out their website. And you know what? Like, I, I really just love this topic so much and that it was you that was the, the one that we had on to talk about it. So thank you again. Yeah, of course. Y'all can't see me, but I'm smiling so big. <laughs> I love hanging out with you guys and sharing this information truly is like my passion. Like I said, Chiron's Cave, the Wounded Healer, I'm only in this work because I've experienced those things like yeah. trauma and yeah. grief and psychosis. And I think that a lot of people are scared to see a counselor because they are hesitant of seeing somebody who's quote unquote like normal or like has never right. dealt with stuff like this. But to be honest, I've never worked with a counselor who hasn't been through some shit. There's, mm -hmm. there's a reason that we're wounded healers. We wouldn't go into this work unless we truly feel compassion for the people that are in front of us from our lived experience. So I'm, I'm so happy to have gotten to share this information with everyone today. And I really hope that if you're listening and you're struggling, that maybe you've been inspired to reach out to either a professional or a support group because everybody deserves, everybody deserves support. A thousand percent. Absolutely. And for those interested in booking a session or learning more about Alyssa or I, check out our website in the description below or visit the about page on ghostteapodcast.com. And don't forget to rate and share Ghost Tea Podcast. Sharing helps us to create even more amazing episodes and have more amazing people like Chris onto our show. By the way, we have some new developments. Wee, 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 wee. We have something Yay. new that's going on and we're super excited to share it with you because this is something that we've been wanting to implement for a while. And so yes. we're so, so excited to launch this now. If you would like to further support Ghost Tea Podcast, you can now consider subscribing to the podcast. Yay! <laughs> Subscribers will get access to exclusive episodes such as Q&As, where we're answering your questions to us, discussions on more taboo topics, and more info about Alyssa and I. You can subscribe via the paid episodes play button. So when you go to play a paid episode, it's just going to ask you to uh, subscribe first. So yeah, I hope you all consider supporting Ghost Tea in this way because it helps us to make more content for you all. And we really, really are excited to implement this into the podcast. So thank you so much for considering. And I hope you all have an amazing rest of your month. Thank you. Bye.